0: Yeah. all right good morning everyone uh we'll start the uh human relations commission meeting i'll start by reading this uh call it a declaration uh thank you i'm uh dr ferris muhammad good evening i'll be facilitating the zoom meeting um here are a few housekeeping items for this virtual meeting this meeting is being broadcast and recorded on the city of Lawrence youtube channel the public chat function is disabled All chats will go directly to me. When you are not participating in the meeting, please mute your microphone. When you are participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you are not participating in the meeting, please turn your video off. You will still be able to hear the meeting. You can turn your video back on when you are participating. Turning your video off when you are not participating allows the active meeting participants to be seen on the screen. If you have any trouble, please send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute microphones in or turn off people's video to minimize distractions. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for the benefit of those listening remotely. And now I'll return the meeting over to Chairperson Sellers.
1: Thank you, Dr. Mohammed. Going to do a roll call. Commissioner Stevens.
2: Commissioner Haswood. Commissioner Deku. Commissioner Sheldon Sherman.
3: No,
0: no one's getting any audio in Zoom. They said they can't hear. Oh. Yeah, and, and I have a. Zoom.
4: Oh, Commissioner Sellers, we cannot hear you. You're oh, muted. I can hear you back.
0: Okay. It looks like your microphone, your icon is muted. No, no, I, I can hear her. I saw it for a second and then
2: it went away. This is a crazy thing that's happening. Um, this is Commissioner Sellers. Can you all, if you can hear me, can you do a thumbs up?
0: different
2: uh audio themes to choose from with all the
0: different computers and it was working and now all I have is the microphones in the room. Oh crazy. Yeah. Especially
1: Paris' fault. <laughs> <laughs>
0: if you want, Chairperson Sellers, you can take my seat here, if I can pull
5: over
0: here. You want to? They were not able to hear me? They heard you at the beginning, and then it cut out. Let's try down here again. Harris,
5: you're
0: muted, you silly man. Yeah, I'm muted now, because I'm not speaking. You want me to see if they can hear me? And oh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm mute. Kid, you kill all the mics. You'll, you'll, you'll turn that on, and then say, hello. Hello, hello can anyone hear me? Okay, yes. so they can... Yeah, so so leave it up
2: when uh, even if even if you're not talking first, leave it up. Okay. All right, okay, we'll grab some headphones and let's get back on the channel. Okay. All right. Can we try? We're okay. back. All right, I hear that third time's a charm. Commissioners, if you could hear me, can I get a thumbs up? Hey, that's what I'm talking about for a Monday. All right, welcome everyone, commissioners and guests to our November 22nd Human Relations uh, Commission meeting. Wouldn't be a Monday if you didn't have a little bit of Monday drama. So thank you all for participating at this time. We'll go ahead and do roll call. Commissioner Stevens. Commissioner Haswood. Commissioner Deku. Commissioner Sheldon Sherman. Present. Commissioner Barnett. Present. Commissioner Emerson. And Commissioner Sellers is present. We have a total of three out of seven registered uh, commissioners. We currently do not have quorum, which means we can't take any action items. However, we can continue on with the business of the agenda. So commissioners, I'm gonna ask you, since, um, you know, parliamentary fashion, we don't uh, approve the agenda, um, but what I would like for us to do to rearrange the agenda a bit, we'll go ahead and have our presentation first, um, our source of income discrimination presentation, We'll take that ahead of um, approval of our minutes. Um, And then we will do receive the uh, case update after we do our presentation, and then we'll follow through with the rest of the agenda. So what I'm asking is that we will move the approval of the minutes to the very end of the meeting we'll go directly into our uh, presentation, then we'll do a case review report update, and then we'll go through the rest of the action agenda items as such. Are there any objections to that revision of our agenda? All right, seeing none, uh, we will start with first agenda item, source of income discrimination presentation. And I do believe we have Gabby Boyle, as well as Gabby Sprague, here. So, thank you, um,
1: and the floor is yours.
4: Thank you so much. Um, am, am I? Do I have screen sharing uh, privileges? Okay, I think I do. I'm going to try it.
2: This is Commissioner Sellers. You should.
4: Okay, I'm. I think I'm on. I think I'm. I'm rocking and rolling. Okay good morning everybody. Um, thank you so much for having us and for hearing this presentation. Um, I'm Gabby Boyle. I'm here today representing the Sexual Trauma and Abuse Care Center um, and I am the co-chair of the Sexual Violence work group and I'm also joined by my colleague Gabby Sprague. Um, Gabby, I don't know if you want to introduce yourself.
6: Yeah, I'm here primarily um, representing myself as a concerned citizen. However, I do also work for the housing stabilization collaborative and I'm very involved in in housing work here in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, I'm primarily here for emotional support and also to answer any questions about sort of what um, what housing and renting looks like in Lawrence as it pertains to the subject topic today.
4: Yes, thank you so much, Gabby. Um, So I wanna start off uh, firstly by kind of just providing you some context with how um, we came to this conversation. The Sexual Violence Prevention Workgroup has been looking at ways to increase um, or create um, really sustainable long-term solutions so that folks can continue to access affordable housing, housing that meets their needs. Um, which in turn is a violence prevention measure. We have been investigating policies, again, to kind of put that structure in place to create these, um, again, really sustainable solutions in our community for ensuring folks have access to the housing um, that meets their affordability needs, that meets their safety needs um, for several months. And in doing that research um, and doing that exploration, um, we really settled on um, into a niche where we were looking into a lot of Source of income protections and ordinances that created a protected class for folks um, for, for source of income. Um, so that's kind of how we come to this conversation. I want to start by really grounding us in information that might already be familiar to you all um, about what the housing situation is in Lawrence currently. Um, in Lawrence, we've got a, a pretty significant amount of renters, of renter occupied units. Um, 54% of our household units are renter-occupied, and we also have a very high number of folks who are experiencing cost burden. Um, So what that means is folks who are spending a third or more of their monthly income on rent, 56% of households in Lawrence are cost burdened, that is about 10,000 households. And from that 10,000, about 6,000 of them are severely cost burdened, which um, means that they are spending 50% or more of their monthly income on rent. And um, not included in that um, are things like utility costs or additional housing security costs. Um, we know that um, our housing choice voucher program is in very high demand. As of September 2021, the Housing Authority um, has 822 active housing choice voucher households um, and a very um, robust waiting list as well um, with about 412 households on the waiting list um, that program there is an 18 to 24 month waiting period for folks who are currently on the waiting list for housing choice vouchers um, there's also been a significant need in our community for emergency rental assistance Um, The Housing Stabilization Collaborative in the last year has provided rental assistance to 643 households. um, And that is rental assistance out of their own funding. Um, And they have also provided support and assistance to folks who are navigating um, the Kansas Emergency Rental Assistance Program, which is administered by the Kansas Housing Resource Corp. So they've helped about 200 people navigate that application process as well. Um, so there really isn't any significant local data that has been collected and analyzed regarding um, the existence the existing prevalence of the amount of renters who are paying their rent using you know non-traditional means um, or the existing experience of households that are paying their rent using housing choice vouchers, emergency assistance, um, other non-traditional income sources um you know what their experience is but I think that qualitatively anecdotally what we're hearing or what I'm hearing from housing service providers um, from folks who are involved in the sexual violence prevention um, work group from from folks like Gabby who are working directly with clients is that um finding uh households finding landlords um property managers that accept vouchers that accept rental assistance that are willing to work with a household paying rent using non-traditional means um, that is a significant barrier, um, and I think that that is part of the reason why our Housing Choice Voucher Program uh, specifically has such um, <clears throat> a bottleneck, <clears throat> is that there is there are programmatic delays um, being created by um, folks who have these uh, vouchers who have been approved for this program not being able to find housing that meets their needs. Um, There is a very limited amount of local data that um, comes from the housing availability lists that the housing authority was putting together um, that I've kind of aggregated and pulled out some statistics from. I wanna say that this is very limited. This is a very small sample size. Um, This is three months of available units um, in Lawrence, January, 2021, February, 2021, and May. There are 270 total units represented here. Um, And what the housing availability lists are for those who are not familiar is um, essentially just folks like Gabby um, calling landlords who had available property listings and asking questions, gathering information about the properties themselves, as well as screening criteria, such as um, eviction history, criminal history, credit score, um, acceptance of housing choice vouchers, and kind of centralizing all of that information um, so that it was easier for uh, both tenants and service providers to navigate. Um, So again, this is kind of an informal survey, um, but of those 270 total units, um, only about a quarter of them accepted Housing Choice Vouchers, Um, two-thirds of them indicated that they did not work with Section 8 or Housing Choice Voucher users at all, and then um, about 8% of them indicated that they um, would accept Housing Choice Vouchers on um, a case-by-case basis. You know, which to me, I think that that conditional basis indicates that there is a lot of um, room for maybe implicit bias or discriminatory practices to kind of sneak in there. Um, So we have about, uh, you know, from those 270 total units, about 75% of them um, either did not work with housing choice vouchers at all um, or conditionally would. There were additional barriers about. credit score and minimum income. So all of these properties except nine um, also required a minimum credit score typically of 600 or 650, as well as a minimum income like two to three times the monthly rent. Um, So there are quite a many um, barriers in the tenant screening process that are preventing people um, from finding housing that meets their needs, um, from having ease of access to housing that meets their needs, ease of access to housing that is safe and affordable for them. Um, If you all are interested, I did also kind of um, aggregate the numbers here on barriers surrounding um, criminal history screening and eviction history screening. And those were similarly um, very limited in the amount of landlords that um, would work with folks who had um, eviction or criminal histories. So the success of the Housing Choice Voucher Program, as well as the success of emergency rental assistance programs, and just um, general uh, success of tenants finding housing um, that again meets their needs is, is reliant on a private landlord's willingness to participate in the Housing Choice Voucher Program. Again, um, this very limited um, local data that we have reflects what's been found in pilot studies conducted by HUD, um, which is that there are are very few landlords who accept housing choice vouchers, um, and many landlords who do accept them, again, have additional screening measures um, that prevent folks from getting housing, um, even if they do find a landlord that accepts um, their assistance. Um, In 2018, HUD conducted a study on voucher acceptance and found that vouchers were less likely to be accepted in low poverty communities, which they define as communities that have poverty rates under 10%. Um, Adjusted for students in Lawrence, our poverty rate is about 11.4%. So again, while there hasn't been any significant research done specifically in Lawrence regarding acceptance of housing choice vouchers, I think the anecdotal experience of housing service providers helping folks navigate that program, um, you know, this very small um, survey of 270 total units over the course of three months. And then that national um, uh, uh, information that HUD has compiled um, really demonstrates that um, the acceptance of non-traditional income sources is a significant barrier to housing in our community as well as nationwide. Um, So why did this data bring us to investigating source of income policies or protections. Um, The housing choice voucher program is one of the most robust assistance programs that we have in the United States for helping folks access housing. Um, But only one in three housing choice voucher users are protected by some sort of policy. Um, or income protection, source of income protections. Um, pursuing legal protections for source of income has been recommended as a strategy to increase housing mobility and voucher acceptance um, by HUD, by the American Bar Association, by many housing advocacy groups, including the National Multifamily Household Council, the Poverty and Race Research, the Poverty, Race and uh, Research Action Council the National Low Income Housing Coalition, the National Housing Law Project, um, et cetera, et cetera. I think that this is a policy that has really been investigated by many advocacy groups um, and recommended by many advocacy groups. Um, I know that there was initially some confusion regarding um, preemption by state law, specifically the way that this type of ordinance would interact with our state's legislation surrounding rent control. Um, But many communities have very similar state legislation um, that prohibits rent control. And these communities have still maintained and um, implemented effective source of income protections at either state levels or local levels. I think another barrier um, locally that we have anticipated or that we've come across in our research in the last several months is um, landlord resistance or landlord concerns. Landlords would not be um, required to alter the rent that they would regularly charge for a unit um, under this type of ordinance. They would not be violating the law if the rent that they charged was above the level, um, you know, that that a tenant using a voucher was able to pay using that voucher. If a voucher holder wanted to rent a unit that cost more than the amount of the voucher coverage, then they would pay the difference in rent. The, the responsibility would not fall on the property manager um, or the landlord. Um, there is, uh, you know, passing this type of ordinance, encouraging landlords to accept vouchers, um, protecting sources of non traditional source of incomes would increase the source of reliable rent payments for landlords in our community. And they may also receive support from program administrators. Administrators, um, you know, uh, like Housing Choice Voucher um, users have some administrative support that's being provided to them by the Housing Authority. Um, the Housing Authority recently invested and in, uh, launched a landlord liaison program that also helps support um, landlords and tenants, uh, both financially, there are incentive funds for landlords, as well as damage mitigation funds, and then also, again, providing some mediation. And then landlords would also still be able to use other screening criteria um, in terms of selecting tenants although i i would definitely consider you know i know that this is not the conversation that we're having today but i would certainly consider um looking into the ways that those screening um additional screening measures such as eviction and criminal history and credit score um, create barriers as well so um this would benefit Um, landlords in our community, there are many ways to sort of um, make this type of ordinance beneficial for them, um, and this would not interact with any sort of state legislation regarding rent control. Um, And on that point, I actually have this uh, fun little slide here. Um, This is um, some maps taken from the National Multifamily Housing Council um, that uh, sort of visually demonstrates um, which states have rent control. legislation or preempt rent control and which states have source of income laws or municipal ordinances. So um, in doing my research um, and as this map demonstrates the majority of states preempt rent control, 30 states um, prohibit rent control on a state level. Um, and you can see those are the these light orange states here. Those are states that have um, legislation um, prohibiting local governments or, or government units Um, from enacting any sort of um, policy that would, um, you know, act as rent control. And in spite of that, 11 states have created um, a statewide source of income protections, and over 50 municipalities have also enacted local um, source of income protections, um, many of which also have state Uh, legislation um, prohibiting rent control. You can see here um, these these light blue states are states that have local ordinances protecting source of income, and many of them are, are, um, you know, light orange states. Interestingly, there are also states that have state legislation prohibiting rent control that have um, state legislation protecting source of income. Um, Washington State is one of those. Oklahoma is one of those, although their um, state protections for source of income unfortunately exclude um, housing choice vouchers. But regardless, I think that um, seeing these maps side by side really demonstrates that, um, in spite of state legislation surrounding rent control, many um, communities are able to successfully um, implement and enforce. Um, effective source of income protections. So when considering what should be included in these protections, um, the American Bar Association um, made kind of a recommendation for including the following in, in a source of, in the definition of source of income, um, you know, a lawful profession, occupation, or job, any government or private assistance, um, and a gift, inheritance, pension, annuity, alimony, child supports. Um, These are great starting points, um, but I want to share with you all an ordinance that is currently being implemented in Ann Arbor Michigan that takes these recommendations these kind of like you know starting points um, and really enhances them and strengthens them to be even more inclusive and more powerful. Um, You know this is a starting point, but I think that we can really consider. how to create an ordinance that is as inclusive and as protective as possible Um, and Ann Arbor is a really great model for that. Um, Michigan similarly has um, state legislation preempting rent control. Um, This is their state legislation um, piece regarding that. You can see the language is very similar to what we have here in Kansas. A local government unit should not enact, maintain, or enforce an ordinance or resolution that would have the effect of controlling the amount of rent charged for leasing private residential property. Um, so, in spite of that, Ann Arbor has um, created this, what I think is just a really powerful um, uh, definition of source of income. Um, their source of income protections are built directly into their non discrimination chapter, similar to what you all are considering. Um, and this is the way that they define. <clears throat> source of income in that chapter Um, as you can see it kind of takes those recommendations from the American Bar Association and one um, makes it very clear and very explicit what is protected by those categories particularly um, with section c here and then also um, to kind of adds that last sentence In section C that creates additional protections surrounding minimum income screening. Um, So this sentence, any monthly housing assistance administered by federal, state, or local agencies or nonprofit entities shall be treated as income in the amount of three times the value of that monthly rental assistance to kind of create protections for folks um, who, you know, potentially their landlord under this ordinance would um, accept their rental assistance or accept their housing choice voucher, but then they would be screened out because they do not meet monthly um, minimum income requirements. Um, This ordinance kind of creates some additional protections for that. Um, to kind of remove that barrier and, again, um, ensure that folks are able to have access to housing that meets their needs. Um, This is enforced by the Human Relations Commission in Ann Arbor. Again, it is a part of their discrimination chapter. And that's actually what I found um, in the majority of these types of, uh, of local source of income protections is that they are generally written in to the um, pre-existing discrimination chapters in the in the municipality. Um, and then they rely on the Human Relations Commission or the otherwise named, um, you know, body overseeing discrimination complaints to um, implement and enforce um, that ordinance. Typically the penalties are, are civil, you know, they usually include fines. Um, And I I know that there may be some concerns about um, an increased burden on the Human Relations Commission um, when it comes to enforcing and implementing, um, you know, the the discrimination chapter if there are additional um, protected classes added. Um, Reviewing the case log for, um, you know, this commission, it appears that the majority of calls that you all receive um, regarding housing complaints are not discriminatory or not related to discrimination, but instead are, um, you know, tenant landlord conflicts um, regarding code enforcement or um, other challenges that folks are having in terms of communicating with their landlords, and it appears that the majority of these calls or these cases get referred out to the um, Housing Credit and Counseling Incorporated. Um, so I think that in the future, you know, um, to kind of reduce the burden on the Commission in terms of enforcing, investigating, um, implementing this type of policies. um, There are other referrals and relationships that can be strengthened um, between the Commission and organizations that are helping folks navigate, um, you know, these complaints or these these conflicts that are not discriminatory. Again, um, taking advantage of the Landlord Liaison Program and the funding that that offers and the mediation that that offers for landlords and tenants, um, you know, contacting the Housing Stabilization Collaborative um, if there are conflicts that they could help resolve, continuing to build that relationship with Housing and Credit Counseling Incorporating. Um, These are all resources that we have in our community that could support um, the commission in, you know, enforcing this type of ordinance by reducing some of the burden or some of the referral burden. Um, Additionally, some communities, including Ann Arbor have um, created ordinances alongside source of income protections that um, require tenants to receive um, a packet upon the consummation of their lease that um, gives them, you know, notice of their rights and responsibilities. Um, In really accessible language, as well as provides them with resources for navigating complaints or conflicts between landlords and tenants, Um, you know, a list of common code enforcement violations. Um, and accessible language about how to pers- pursue that with the city, um, accessible language surrounding what the city's discrimination um, chapter covers, and again, um, how they can most effectively file complaints. So that could potentially um, be another way to reduce the burden um, on the commission and enforcing this is providing folks with those resources up front um, so that they do not have to call in and get referred out by, um, by you all. Um, so that's that's what we've got today um yeah i i guess i'm not sure if there's time scheduled in for questions or thoughts from from the commissioners um but i appreciate you all taking the time to have us here and um listen to our our research
2: this is commissioner sellers thank you gabby um for that presentation i i I will speak first and say that I do have several questions, but we have about five minutes that uh, we can allot for questions, but I will yield to the other commissioners. We've had several commissioners join us, including Commissioner Emerson and Commissioner Stevens. So I will yield the floor to my fellow commissioners to see if they have
1: any questions before I take a deep dive in. Commissioners, do you have any questions? All right, hearing none, Gabby. I'm I'm
2: glad in the presentation um, towards the end that you were able to do that side by side comparison of states with um, uh, with rent control ordinance um, statutes on on the books uh, with um, local ordinances. That I was just about to ask if there was a crosswalk of that, um, particularly uh, the one in Oklahoma. I'm glad you you pointed that out. Were you able in your research to see um, why? section eight vouchers were pulled out of the language um, as uh, for protections of source of income?
4: Um, My understanding in Oklahoma is that they were never included in in the language. Um, I believe historically that ordinance was passed with concerns for like veterans and ease of access to housing for veterans who may be using rental assistance or um, other types of assistance. Um, So I think that it was, crafted quite a long time ago, um, and and was not like uh, concerned with housing choice vouchers.
2: Thank you, this is Commissioner Sellers again. And then I remember in the presentation, you said that adjusted for students, our poverty rate here in Lawrence is 11.4. If we disaggregate that, what is it without students?
4: That's a great question. Um, I unfortunately do not have that number on hand, but I could um, potentially pull it up very quickly with uh, um, some rapid research if, if it was very pressing.
2: This is commissioner, so it's not pressing, but I mean, I would love to, to have it. In, and you can definitely share that um, via email. I'll be sure that we can share it out with the rest of the commissioners. Um, I'm glad you brought up, um, in regards to local concerns with landlords, uh, you know, for me, speaking personally, I, I think it's a little bit concerning and troubling that we have so many landlords who are not participating in housing choice vouchers. Um, and even just a set for a matter of education, um, they're not Section 8 vouchers anymore, they're housing choice. And so I think it's a matter of of, of removing those implicit biases against um Against housing choice vouchers that may be added. That's just my hypothesis. Um, but I'm glad you touched on the the damage mitigation fund, um, which I know the um, Shannon Houry with the with the housing authority has worked very diligently to 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 implement here in our community. Based on what you've what you've heard, and this can be you both Gab, both Gabby's. Um, what are some of the pushback that you're hearing from landlords or has someone been able to do a, a focus group or listening from landlords who are not participating or not wanting to, is it just a matter of just lack of uh, you know understanding knowledge, just straight refusal to participate? If I'm not mandated, I'm not going to do it kind of thing based on your, 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 your discussions or, or knowledge that you are that you've that you've been able to experience why are so many of our landlords not willing to participate?
6: This is Gabby Sprague. Um I want to speak to that a little bit. I think it primarily comes down to those implicit biases that you were talking about, like We, I do, I work really closely with the landlord liaison who is um, implementing those funds and trying to get them out to the community. The issue is that we can write a check for a lot of folks, but we can't get people to accept that money. Um, So I think a lot of it comes down to that implicit biases of, you know, I don't want people with a voucher. They tend to cause a lot of issues and, and things like that. So that I would say primarily that's what that is a lot of the time. Uh,
4: and this is Gabby Boyle, I would also like to add I think kind of and this is something that we've talked about in the sexual violence prevention Work Group um, in Lawrence units can turn over very quickly. Um, so I think um, paired with that bias if uh, you know. Um, a landlord can turn over a unit very quickly and know that a um, what is, you know, considered like a more stable or safe or desirable renter, such as a student with um, with funding from family that can um, ensure rent payments or a young professional who, um, again, is for whatever reason, um, considered a safer renter. Um, there's more of an incentive like to to house those folks since the units will like be filled no matter what. Um, so therefore there's there's really no, um, it appears that there's a lack of incentive to work with folks with housing choice vouchers since landlords know they can fill the unit regardless.
7: This is Commissioner Barnett. Um, I kind of along that line, even if it's not a housing choice voucher, I mean, there are a ton of other programs out there that are issuing supplemental funding for housing. I'm, I'm just curious when those programs are in effect, um, And also with the housing choice voucher, is there a guaranteed amount of time? I mean, I just don't understand why a landlord wouldn't just want the money, the regular money. Is it a month-to-month thing? Is it the likelihood that someone receiving any kind of supplemental uh, uh, boost or um, a voucher could get cut off by that agency? Or is it like... You will get a, a voucher for 12 months, I guess not housing choice, I'm talking about anything other than that. You'll get a voucher for 12 months, you'll get a voucher for six months, or is it month to month? And so that that kind of leaves a landlord up in the air, or is it truly, truly just discriminatory?
6: I can't speak to other programs, but with the Housing Stabilization Collaborative, um, uh, we have a, an agreement that we make with the landlord that states, you know, you are not going to evict this tenant for the amount of time that we're suggesting here. I would say right now, a lot of it because of the pandemic, because of um, you know just so, sort of the amount of money that's available for rental assistance that is primarily used for emergency funding. A lot of the payments are one to three months at this at this point in time. Um, but yeah, I would say the source of income, um, it definitely doesn't exclude the the programs that are a little bit um, more temporary, but with primarily those housing choice vouchers, those are really sustainable solutions for people to stay in rental, um, rental properties for long periods of time. Um, so I see, the, the policy and the ordinance changing to include source of income as a, as a very, um, permanent solution in regards to housing choice vouchers and then the emergency assistance is kind of uh, a separate thing.
5: Uh, this is uh, Commissioner Anderson. One of the questions I had as I'm listening is I was curious about, um, do we know like when um, uh, realtors or landlords get together um, as community to have discussion about these things? Or is that something that has not been tradition for uh, the Lawrence community?
1: Discussion about...
6: I can't truly speak historically um, as to what that looks like. I know that the landlord liaison is working hard to to start that sort of group with um, landlords here in town. Um, I don't it hasn't happened quite yet. The position is new. Um, So I would say it's it's looking to the future uh, that that will start occurring. I know that there have been like a landlord There's been at least one landlord group here in Lawrence, but I don't know exactly what they're about or what they discuss.
3: This is Commissioner Stevens. I actually think that we used to have a member of our board that was a part of the um, like the landlord group in question. Um, I'm not quite sure what that is now, but um, yeah, I know that that existed. I don't know if it still does.
5: This is Commissioner Emerson, the only reason I point this out is that, you know, I I think about um, how there could be uh, a lot of collaboration if we had those individuals at at the table, opposed to just kind of, you know, (laughs) talking about them as they're um, a group of people, they are a group of people, and so um, I know with that collective thought, we could do a lot more with it, so it would be great if we um, could see some of that. to or if we can help uh, facilitate that so we can have that discussion with them on
7: this. This is Commissioner Barnett, uh, both Gabby's. I do have a question. If the Human Relations Commission was to do something like Commissioner Stevens suggested, um, perhaps join a working group or something, what what stakeholder group is most um, aligned with the mission? Um, you know, I guess I think of Ahab, obviously, like that we would serve in a liaison role with them, but is that the most appropriate group so we could be um, informed and active, or do you have other suggestions?
6: This is Gabby Esberg again. I think there's not like one singular group that I could see right now. However, we could very easily gather folks um, to make that happen. And um, to Commissioner Emerson's point about bringing landlords into the room, I think that's a great idea and they would definitely be a part of the conversation. Um, the HSC engages with a lot of landlords and I would probably reach out to many of the agencies involved in And ask them, you know, what landlords would you see wanting to contribute to this conversation while also including all of the social service providers that we've been discussing and um, folks affected by this ordinance and um, get together a group to then um, inform the decision making and the process of uh, changing this ordinance?
1: Do you have, this is Commissioner Sellers. Do we have any other questions?
3: I
6: think Carol has her hand raised. Yeah, this is Gabby Sprague. Is there public comment on this agenda item? We have public comment towards the end, but not on this particular
2: item. So, if we do have any public comment, it will come towards the end.
3: This is Commissioner Stevens. I just had one follow-up. I think it'd be um, important. I know that we have a lot of private landlords, but I think that also um, the real estate companies around town would be um, important to include in this as they are, um, I would say pretty in the know as far as landlords go um, and they have a lot of influence around here. So thank you. This
2: is Commissioner Sellers. Thank you, Commissioner Stevens. Um, Gabby, I have one more question before um, I want us to have some discussion and, and possible uh, motion on an action uh, motion on an action item. You talked about the um, both groups with the stabilization coalition um, and uh, with the um, sexual abuse trauma um, group that you've been working to draft language uh, and do some of that research, and it sounds like. There's a, a willingness to get a consensus group uh, or a stakeholder group together to be a part of that so that there could be some that continuous language drafted and that you've come to the Human Relations Commission. I know that there's been a presentation as well with the um, Affordable Housing um, Advisory Board. Um, so it, is it to be said that as far as if we approve it would you, that you would like to have someone from the human relations commission serve as as a liaison to this work group and and helping to draft some
1: potential language for review uh,
4: this is gabby boyle i i definitely as gabby said earlier i think that we could well we don't have a um working group at the moment that has been drafting language we've primarily been collecting implementation examples Um, from other communities and identifying, um, you know, what ordinances are particularly effective. Um, We absolutely could, I think, pretty quickly convene um, a group of folks who are interested in, um, you know, serving as a liaison between the Human Relations Commission to help um, draft language um, or or make recommendations surrounding language. Um, And and we would love to have you um, at the table for that. Since you ultimately will be the folks who are implementing and enforcing, um, so while we don't have that working group yet, I think that we could easily um, pull one together with the stakeholders that we already have at the table um, and continue this conversation.
2: Okay, this is Commissioner Sellers. Thank you. So, Commissioners, um, I know we, we this was brought up several months ago, just as kind of a a, a bug in the ear, um, and I know that the the affordable housing um advisory board have they are very fa- very familiar and knowledgeable of the presentation and what's at play and what's at um and what um our presenters are, are asking of us as a commission. Um, we've had a little bit of discussion. Um, I would like uh for us to continue that discussion but um but through a motion that we uh, identify um Commissioners who would be willing to take the lead on um, serving as the point of contact between our community partners, as well as with the affordable housing advisory board um, to start a work group that can. Um, that can begin this work of drafting language um, around a source of uh, income ordinance so. Um, was a lot to be said but I, I would like for us in order to continue discussion to at least get a motion on the floor um in regards to this and then
1: um
2: and then we can have discussion we can have a second in discussion
7: this is commissioner barnett um i'll make the motion that we do um nominate or appoint someone from the Human Relations Commission to be a point of contact for this issue. Um, it seems only natural since we're rewriting chapter 10. Um, so I make a motion that we create a liaison a commissioner, human relations commissioner as a liaison with these stakeholders, Ahab,
6: and to lead a working group.
3: This is commissioner Stevens I second. <clears throat>
2: This is Commissioner Sellers. As a point of order, uh, Commissioner Barnett, Commissioner Stevens, um, I'm gonna ask us to wait on that motion. Um, since we do um, have public here that wanted to make comments on an agenda item, I was out of order. Um, we, have, we have public comment time for for just general comments, um, but I spoke at a term and we do uh, allow public to comment on um, agenda items. So um, I do believe I, see, I saw a hand. Uh, from a Cheryl Sanders so Cheryl did you have a
1: comment to make on an agenda item Cheryl had to step away for another meeting This is Commissioner Sellers um
2: was that Mr. Vandercock? Did you want to provide any public comment on the agenda
1: item?
3: No, ma'am. We're, we're good. Cheryl will send you an email.
1: Okay, this is Commissioner Sellers, thank you.
2: Are there any other, is there anyone
1: else from the public that wanted to make a comment on the agenda item? All right, hearing none, commissioners, there was a motion on the floor to appoint
2: one commissioner to serve as a liaison um, in the drafting of a source of income ordinance. Um, and then there was a second. Uh, I will do a roll call vote on this item so that we can have it for record. Commissioner Stevens? Aye. Commissioner Haswood. Commissioner Deku? Commissioner Sheldon Sherman? Aye. Commissioner Barnett? Aye. Commissioner Emerson? Aye. Commissioner Sellers? Aye. Motion carries five to zero. Um, commissioners, uh, I will make sure to send an email out, um, but if there are any commissioners who are on today's meeting, if you haven't expressed interest um, to participate, um, or serve as that liaison. Um, I know we're still working through um, realignment of our work groups um, and we do have a work group that's dedicated to Chapter 10. So if it's in the future, you would like to participate in the Chapter 10 subgroup, if you would like to be that point of pers- point of contact for this particular work group. Um, please let uh, Dr. Muhammad and myself know. Are there any questions?
7: This is Commissioner Barnett. Um, I don't want to delay any action on this as we've been talking about it for several months now. Um, I would like to volunteer to be that liaison. I've already talked to, um, both Gabby's and, um, folks at city hall about this very important issue. And so I, I'm totally willing to do it if that's okay with the other commissioners. I'll just continue the work that, um, I've been doing.
2: Thank you, Commissioner Barnett. This is Commissioner Sellers. Commissioners, do you have any objections to Commissioner Barnett's um, willingness to uh, serve in this capacity? Uh,
5: This is Commissioner Emerson. I just wanna say thank you, Commissioner Barnett.
2: All right, hearing none. Commissioner Barnett, thank you for taking up the mantle on this. We appreciate it. Look forward to future updates on this. All right, commissioners, moving on in our agenda item, um, we're going to jump up to our review of our case updates. I did not see Ms. Afoka on um, to be here for any comments, but hopefully you had the opportunity to review the case update report. Commissioners, were there anyone that had any questions, comments in regards to the um, case update report from Ms. Afoka?
7: This is Commissioner Barnett. I did, um, and without Ms. Afoka here, I'm hoping that either our minutes can reflect my question or Dr. Mohammed can bring my question back um, or if I can communicate directly with her. my primary question is In reading the case report, it appears that Ms. Sofoka is actually not the one intaking phone calls, um, and that those phone calls are being intaken by another party, as Ms. Sofoka was referred to um, in third person several times uh, throughout the case report. And so, my primary question is I know that she has gone to our federal training. Um, with HUD and she's gone to a ton of other CLEs and training to be our lead investigator. Um, But, you know, when you have that first point of contact with someone and you're screening someone um, whether or not this is an appropriate place for the caller to be. um, I'm just wondering who is taking these phone calls, making these referrals um, in and does this person have training and if they do what training i'm certainly not saying i need uh, miss avoca to answer the phones and do all of this intake work but i just want to know who is doing it because i was under the impression that she was the person answering the phones listening to folks listening to complainants or potential complainants um, and then finding the most appropriate place for them to be um as uh, an attorney and um, as someone who received that training that made me feel pretty confident in where those referrals were going and um, that the people were getting the right information um, so i just would like to know who this person is who's preparing the case report and answering the phones um, and calling people back and setting meetings and what kind of training they have received
2: this is Commissioner Sellers. Thank you, Commissioner Barnett. And I think to add to that, um, to your point, um, Commissioner Barnett is to ensure that whoever the individual is, if it is not FOCA, if they are trained um, in the screening and if they are um, submitting any data to any databases, which I know HUD does require per our report, that they are trained and that it is noted that they are trained because it was never, to our understanding that there was someone else entering data into any databases. And if this is happening, that would at least be a a, a process step that I would like to know. And, and then it would lead to some additional questions I may have in regards to um, our numbers, as it reflects any um, any cases being substantiated as, as in regards to any type of discrimination or even a case review of that nature. Are there any other questions in
1: regards to the case review report from commissioners?
7: This is Commissioner Barnett. I just, are we, is there kind of an action item there or could, should I send an email or is it more appropriate that Dr. Muhammad send an email? I'm just wondering who's going to ask what and um, if I should do something, I just want to be able to know I'm the right person doing it.
2: This is Commissioner Sellers. Um, I'll have Dr. Mohammed. I think there's an opportunity here for an action item if we want the minutes to reflect that.
0: Yeah, uh, Ferris Mohammed, Director of Equity and Inclusion. Uh, Vice Chair uh, Barnett, yeah, you can uh, send uh, Ms. Afolka an email inquiring about that. If you prefer I to do that, I can do that as well and copy you in on the email. So whatever preference you have, it can go either way.
7: Thank you, Dr. Muhammad. this is Commissioner Barnett. I will go ahead and send an email unless there's any opposition, um, I don't have my Roberts rules, if that's the most appropriate way to do that. But um, if I can go ahead and send that email, unless anyone is opposed to me doing that. This is Commissioner Sellers. This, uh,
2: Commissioner Barnett, I don't think Uncle Henry would be too upset with you in regards to that. But if, Commissioner, that there are no objections to Commissioner Barnett's email to Miss Afoka, then you are more than um, able to do that, Commissioner Barnett. Commissioner, since we now have quorum, I would like for you to take a moment, if you've not, to review the minutes from our September and October meeting. If you remember um, at our October meeting, we did not have um, correct September minutes. That was duly pointed out by Commissioner Sheldon Sherman, so this is your opportunity now to review the minutes note if there are any omissions that need to be noted any corrections that need to be made any comments, please make sure you do so at this
1: time. This this is Commissioner Sellers. I noticed in our September meeting minutes, I know there was
2: a question posed by Commissioner Barnett in regards to some research that was, I'm trying to go back to my notes to see what that was
7: this is Commissioner Barnett. Um, I did notice and I think I brought this up last time we met in October. um, I did notice that my request for the legal department to perform a little bit of research on the housing um, preemption language was not reflected in the minutes and then also um, we never got such research. So um, I'm And the minutes are just, they just look a little different. And so I don't know if this is the way our minutes are going to look and it only reflects action items. Um, For sure that action item is missing. Uh, Thank you Chair Sellers for bringing that up. Um, I don't know if I need to make another request or um, if we should just, I'm not really sure what to do um about that missing item or if we feel like that's been satisfied by the memo that was provided to us that dated back to December 2020 um, or if the legal department that was the legal department's response to that request um, there's just like not really reflected anywhere in the minutes and so I want to be sure that we that's been satisfied one way or another
1: This is Commissioner Sellers. Commissioner Burnett, I think it's um,
2: up to you if you would like that to be noted. I mean, with with any minutes, if there's something that was an action item that we discussed and you're noticing that it's not reflected in the minutes, then we can make um, a notation that the minutes be amended to include that. Um, in regards to the structure and function of the the structure of the minutes, I can't I can't speak to that in we may need to have some further discussion with Dr. Muhammad to see if we can go back to, I am trying to remember, do you remember at a point when, as far as you can use as a point of reference for you know previous structure and, and layout of our minutes that you're used to that we maybe digress from that you would, could use as an example, and we don't have to discuss it right now but that we could use as an example, just for some guidance.
7: This is Commissioner Burnett. I sure do, and I can, you know, shoot that over to Dr. Muhammad as an example. Um, so, with regard to the September 13th and October 11th meeting minutes, that would be the only amendment that I see. I'm happy to make a um, make a motion with an amendment, um, if that's the most appropriate way to do it this is commissioner sellers it is i just wanted to give
2: the opportunity of other commissioners to review the minutes and make any other notations and they see if they see fit commissioners do you have any other additions or corrections
1: that need to be made to the september or october meeting minutes
7: This is Commissioner Barnett. Um, I will make a motion to approve the September 13th and October 11th meeting minutes with an amendment to the September 13th minutes indicating that I, Commissioner Barnett, did request the legal department to provide research on source of income, discrimination, information, and um the state law potentially preempting said language. All right.
2: Is there a second? A second. It's been moved by Commissioner Barnett and seconded by Commissioner Sheldon Sherman. We'll do a roll call vote. Commissioner Stevens. Aye. Commissioner Haswood. Commissioner Deku. Commissioner Sheldon Sherman. Aye. Commissioner Barnett. Aye, Commissioner Emerson. Aye, Commissioner Sellers. Aye. Motion carries five zero. Um, Commissioner Barnett, if you can, if there's anything you wanted to add, make sure we get an email to myself and Dr. Muhammad. Motion carries. Minutes have been approved with the with amendments. All right, commissioners. We're now moving on to. Agenda item number three, alignment of our subcommittee discussion. Um, I know that we've gone through a little bit of attrition since September, and we are, um, we've are we had the addition of one new commissioner, and we currently have uh, two vacancies that need to be filled. And so um, as we are um, concluding on the year and um, to kind of piggyback us into action item number four. Um, I wanted us to have just some discussion, um, not necessarily brief discussion, but just discussion around the realignment of our subcommittees um, to ensure that we are comfortable with the three. I know when we talked about our recommendations at our September meeting, um, I gave commissioners that time and that opportunity to discuss if we needed to um, add any additional subcommittees, or if we felt comfortable with the current subcommittees um, in their um, in their inception, and so um, wanted to see where everyone uh, was at as far as do we feel comfortable with the three subcommittees that we have, do we believe that there are there's a potential for additional, um, and then um, kind of conclude with to have commissioners thinking about whether or not you want to continue your work um, on your current subcommittee or to move to and to move to another subcommittee. And I know we can work with Dr. Mohammed to, um, to do um, our ranked choice voting that we did last time for our committees. Um, so commissioners, um, I'm gonna open the floor for any discussion on our subcommittees, whether or not you believe, and I'd like to hear from everyone if you believe that the current subcommittees we have um, fit the, the, the goals and objectives of our committee at commission as we stand. And if there's any other um, thoughts on additional subcommittees that
1: we could consider um, either at a at our next meeting or for the upcoming year.
5: I don't want to call on people, but I will. Uh, this is Commissioner Emerson. Uh, so I, I think this question is a little hard to answer because you know we have we have created subcommittees um, and we're doing some work, but we haven't really been able to see that uh, work um, um, materialize in some regards. And so it's hard to say. You know, uh, are is one it, are these subcommittees meeting our needs? Um, I don't know. You know. Um, is is it great that we have them? Yes. Um, but, you know, what What are we trying to reach or trying to get to next, in, in the upcoming years? I think we're still in a state of trying to really kind of determine that as, as a group. So um, so those are my responses right now. Um, and I don't have much else to say on that.
4: This is Commissioner Sheldon Sherman. I agree with Commissioner Emerson in that I believe we haven't had enough time with these subcommittees with, actual participation on all of the committees to determine whether they are meeting our needs and whether the action items that come from those committees are something that we can actually utilize and are helpful and so i personally
7: would suggest that we continue the subcommittees as we have them now until we get a little more
4: stable um, membership commission membership and then see how they are touch base you know in six months or so and see how they're they're going after
1: that
3: This is Commissioner Stevens I agree I think we just need a little bit more time and uh, it would be nice if we had a I suppose a full board as well hopefully that can be one of the goals for the before the end of the the year thank you
7: this is Commissioner Barnett Uh, I would agree I actually do think that this is a really great division of tasks that the human relations commission has to meet our mission, Um, and certainly what Commissioner Stevens said, we need to get um, a full commission so we can start taking action. Um, So I would like to leave them as they are. I think it's a great setup.
1: All right, this is Commissioner
2: Sellers. Thank you, Commissioners, for your input. Um, I want us to move on to uh, agenda item four, which is our goal-setting goal discussion for 2022. Um, I know, and, and you may need to, to dust it off a bit, uh, we did submit for review in September um, our um tentative um, recommendations for the Human Relations Commission um, that included some action items or could be potential goals um, for this commission um, for the year 2022. Um, so perhaps for our December meeting um, as an action item on the agenda, we can look at that, um, re ourselves with the recommendations list um, and and look at that to possibly um, create some uh, additional goals um, for us for 2022. Uh, but we did this last year. We kind of. It, Ended the year thinking about it and being introduced um, to the strategic plan. And then if you remember, we went into our January meeting, almost as a retreat format, uh, that we did a deeper dive into the strategic plan and wanted to discuss some goals. So um, I'll allow, not allow, I'll give (laughs) Dr. Muhammad uh, the opportunity to add some additional context. And I do know there may be a possibility for um, even the city manager to come and, and speak with us. Um, on that as well. Um, but Dr. Mohammed, was there anything you wanted to add um, in regards to this?
0: Yes, uh, Ferris Mohammed, Director of Equity and Inclusion. I do know that the uh, city manager do desire to be present at the uh, December, I think 12th, uh, Human Relations Commission meeting to kind of do a high level overview of the strategic plan for the city, and perhaps uh, to what Chairperson Sellers was just uh, speaking to can help provide some guidance to the Human Relations Commission in the development of the 2022 goals, and maybe perhaps as well, uh, that can help provide better um, guidance or the realignment of some of the subcommittee discussion. This
2: is Commissioner Sellers. Thank you, Dr. Muhammad. And commissioners, I think it it would behoove us um, to have, the city manager, Craig Owens, uh, attend that meeting and have some discussion with us, as well as to um, look at that recommendations list. Um, I believe several of the recommendations that we presented um, on that one that uh, we could even dis- discuss this afternoon. Um, I think having the group, you know, we put it together by our subcommittees, but we weren't able to really t- put eyes on it collectively. I think having the opportunity to look at that recommendations list um, will help us identify maybe potential, you know, other potential goals for us. I think it will also allow us conversation, um, opportunity to have conversation about which of the, the goals and um presented could be where do we designate those into our subcommittees to everyone's point of being able to to have goals and identify which subcommittee would be able to execute those goals and I mean even hearing in the presentation um that Gabby Boyle uh just shared with us today in regards to some of the action items for landlords um in regards to the rights and 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 giving around and having uh materials for, for renters. You know, we talked about that in one of our subgroups. I do believe it was a program development group. And so I think there's an opportunity for us with having the city manager, um, at our meeting in December, as well as getting a heart, giving a hard look to that recommendations list, um, could help the group, um, continue to formulate goals, but also look at those recommendations and start identifying, um, Uh, timelines for subcommittees to do the work and to to report out so commissioners do you have any any thoughts questions on on the goal setting and having our having a city manager attend a december meeting
7: this is commissioner barnett Um, I actually do. And if we're going to have a goal setting discussion in December, I would actually like for the city attorney's office um, to be there as someone from the city attorney's office to be there as well. Um, One of the things that we ran into is that, you know, uh, Commissioner Emerson and I volunteered to review a grant application um, to receive $13,000 for HUD funding. Um, That grant application was never, it wasn't given to us in our packet in the, what was it, August meeting or October meeting. Um, It wasn't sent to Commissioner Emerson or I, um, you know, knowing it was in the city attorney's office. Um, I think it was sent to Chair Sellers and myself um, on the 26th of October with you know, a note. Like, do do you guys? Does the Human Relations Commission have any comments? Um, this is for goal setting for twenty twenty two. We have to know. We can't. Our Programs Committee can't develop programs unless we know what the grant funding is available for that. And we don't know what the and the, the City Attorney's Office can't develop grant funding a grant application for funding for the programs we want to do without talking to us and knowing the programs. And so there has to be a little more communication there instead of this like hands-off traditional city attorney's office sends in the grant application. And then we just take our marching orders and do whatever the grant application says. We've been doing that forever. And what it turns out to be is a bunch of commemorative parties and emails. And I got one this morning um, celebrating the great work that we've done. And we, you know, in been talking to people when I was doing the source of income discrimination work in talking to people, that's not what is effective, it's ineffective outreach by our commission to our community to achieve our mission of ending discrimination in Lawrence, Kansas. And so I do think it's important for the city attorney's office to, to be there and at our goal setting meeting for 2022. So we can start talking about available funding. When is the When are the grant applications due? What grant applications do we traditionally fill out annually? Um, what is it usually for? And then our programs committee can say, okay, we know that by September we need to have come up with something for this October grant application that's due that generates the majority of our funding for our outreach programs, et cetera. So, uh, long rant aside, I would love for the city attorney's office to be present so we could they could assist us in our goal setting for 2022.
2: This is Commissioner Sellers. Thank you, Commissioner Barnett. Long rant or not, we will make it note that we have the Human Relations Department um, that invitation is sent out to our human relations department and our city attorney to be there as well. Commissioners, are there any other other questions or comments
1: about the goal setting? All right, hearing none, going into our last
2: agenda item committee reports. um, I would just use this as an open opportunity for any of our uh, committee leads who are still here. I know Commissioner Haswood is not here to give any updates on the committee report. I know we had a group that was working on our drafting some end-of-year report language and wanted to give that group an opportunity to provide provide an update on that work and see if there's any guidance or, or that they would like from the commission. So, with the team that was working on that end of your report, is there any updates you would like to provide or do you think you'll be able to have a draft to share with the commission by the December 12th meeting?
4: This is Commissioner Sheldon Sherman. I think that we can definitely have a draft to share in December, what is the best way to do that? Just email that to you and you can get that out to everyone to look at because I would love the whole board to look at it
7: before we make any, you know, make it final in any way.
2: Yes, if you want to just CC, uh, this is Commissioner Sellers, Commissioner Sheldon Sherman, if you just want to CC me and Dr. Muhammad on it, then Dr. Muhammad can can get that out without us violating any coma.
1: This is Commissioner Sheldon Sherman, great, thanks.
2: Great, are there any other subcommittees that would like to provide any updates?
7: This is Commissioner Barnett, again, fine. Chapter 10 subcommittee. Um, we, as you know, we heard from our presenter um, as a commission the last couple months, we've discussed this chapter 10 and some of the additions um, to language, including source of income. Um, student status, etc. Um, so I just want the Commission to know that uh, Commissioner Emerson and I continue to work together on this um, in reaching out to stakeholders to discuss this important work. Um, you know, I got a lot of great information from both Gabby's, particularly Gabby Boyle, um, about other cities and what they're doing on source of income, and in doing so, I discovered some other things that we ought to consider for our Chapter 10 rewrite, and so, you know, as, as it happens when you're doing research, I'm down a rabbit hole now um, on uh, different language Um in other non-discrimination ordinances, um, including even making it a criminal violation or municipal violation, and not just this like civil administrative complaint process, that it makes it actually unlawful um, and to discriminate. And so I just some of this stuff is very interesting. Um, I just kind of intend on continuing to talk to um, our stakeholders and uh, develop what what, what those vested in this process and what our community wants to see um, in putting together a, a nice big package. Um, Commissioner Emerson and I can, will continue to meet and get a, a very comprehensive chapter 10, comprehensive and progressive forward thinking chapter 10 um, rewrite done. So that's my update. This is Commissioner Sellers. Thank you, Commissioner Barnett for that update.
2: All right, commissioners hearing no other comments. Uh, we're now onto our action uh, agenda item D public comment. At this time members of the public um, can provide any comments up to three minutes on any of the items listed. Um, do we have any one virtually
1: that would like to provide public comment? All right, seeing none,
2: this is Commissioner Sellers, seeing no hands raised for public comment at this time. Commissioners, I'll do a quick reminder that we do have a December meeting, December 12th. We're back to our same bat time of 6 p.m. Thank you. Um, for allowing space and flexibility to reschedule for our rescheduled meeting today at 11. I'm glad that we were able to um, have quorum um, to Commissioners uh, Barnett's point. we There was a launch today of our 60th anniversary of Chapter 10 ordinance. Um, and so there was a press release that was done today. There's some social media and there will be some... Um, display set up um, at several um, of our locations here, um, the library uh, being one, City Hall as well, Um, and then there will be um, banners around the community, and so again, I think in a way, while this may not what we the the direction that was chose for us to commemorate the 60th anniversary of our civil rights ordinance may not have happened in a way that we had anticipated it or hoped for it to happen. Um, let this be an opportunity for us to build dialogue within the community and to help us um, as we come back in December uh, when we think about goal setting and goal planning for 2022 and what that looks like. Um, again, you did receive the. Um, HUD partnership grant that was submitted um, this this year for the upcoming year. There are grant there are funds still available for us to reimagine, um, you know, what was typically done in the past as a festival cultures. Um, so these are things, these are f- funds that are available um, that based on the grants parameters, we can reimagine how to use that. And so um, I would employ each of you to um, you know scour through your emails, find the email that has um, the grant uh, language from 2020 as well as from 2021. Look at your recommendations that we um, we were able to um, put together in September and come to the December 12th meeting you know, ready to, to to do a deep dive and um, identify some areas of which our subcommittees can get to work and create some um, actionable impact that aligns with um, the mission and vision of this commission, as well as with our strategic plan for our city. So are there any other questions, comments, or concerns from commissioners this afternoon?
7: Well, this is Commissioner Barnett again. Um, yeah. I. I do just wanna comment. um, I wanna thank you Chair Sellers. I know that you are moving on um, and thank you so much for your service on this commission. When you came on uh, last summer, two summers ago, it, it just was a lifesaver. You breathed life into this commission that was just so absolutely needed. And um, we were we were struggling to move the ball forward and you refocused this commission and reorganized us to actionable items and things that can be achieved. And so I just wanna thank you so much for your time on this commission and congratulate you. On your election to our city commission, this is Commissioner Sellers. Thank you, Commissioner Barnett, and
2: um, I, I have to give you you thanks for that as well. I, having to following your footsteps have been it's it's been a little bit daunting, uh, but you've been there every step of the way, and I do appreciate your your candor and and your willingness to help bring me on board. So. Um, I'm very proud of this commission. I'm very proud of each and every one of you commissioners and for sticking it out. Um, it's not been easy, but you know, transitional, transformational work is never easy work. It's difficult work. And those who are willing to do it are the ones that are the ones that are built for it. So you've stuck in this far. Um, please don't give up now. Um, let's continue to do some great work, do better than what I've been able to do. And, um, you know, you can, you can visit me sometime. You know where I'm at now on Tuesdays.
1: Commissioners, are there any other comments or concerns? Hearing none,
2: I will bring this meeting to adjourn at 1229 PM. Commissioners, thank you again. Happy holidays, safe travels, and be safe.